A brief update. It's May the 12th, 2024. I've released just two episodes of this year. My father-in-law passed away in January. He bravely fought a multitude of health issues for well over 15 years. Rest in peace, John. My wife of more than 20 years, Lisa, is remarkably strong, much more so than I. Her outlook on life is always positive and has motivated me to resume my passion project. Research for new episodes is now well underway. Stay tuned and sincere thanks for subscribing to my podcast. Then you are in Australia right now. You're talking NBA basketball. You're talking great teams. You're talking great individual players. Takes it off and there's number 23. And of course, Johnny goes nuts. So I'm getting first time thinking about it now. I just tried to go out there and play my game. I have no idea what you're talking about, Adam. I don't like anybody. I'm not a people person. Strand, you make the pass. Yes. Christian, can you catch the ball? Yes. All the stars were aligned and all the muscles fired at the right time. And I was able to get off the ground and throw one down. I was saving that as a surprise for you. And now, introducing your host for In All Airness, Adam Ryan. Welcome to episode 19. Thanks for joining me. Go to inallairness.com for show notes and plenty more features. The social hub for the podcast is facebook.com slash inallairness. If you haven't already, please like the page and join the growing community of fans. Add the podcast to your RSS feed or iTunes so you never miss another show. It's also available on Stitcher, BlackBerry, Player FM, TuneIn Radio and numerous other podcatchers. I love hearing from listeners. On either site, you can send voicemail, comments or questions. With your permission, I'd love to include your feedback on future episodes. You can follow me on Twitter at InAllAirness. Today we'll be chatting about the 1990s All-Star Games and in particular 1990 through to 1994. I'm joined again today by my mate Aaron Steen. Aaron, how are you, mate? Adam, good afternoon, mate. Very well. That's good to hear. Thanks again for joining me. We've had fun the first couple of times we've done these sort of recap episodes. So today hopefully is no exception as we delve into the All-Star Games of yesteryear. We'll be starting off with the other 1990 All-Star Game in Miami, which has a, a special place for me as an NBA fan because it was probably one of the first NBA games that I ever saw and it's definitely the earliest one that I have recorded on VHS. So looking forward to talking about it. Yep, and we start to date ourselves immediately as soon as we start talking about the VHS era, but I've got a stack of old VHS tapes in the cupboard full of all Jordan stuff and NBA stuff from the 80s and 90s. So let's begin with the 1990 All-Star Game, as we said. February 1990, it was held at Miami Arena in Miami, Florida, and the Eastern Conference All-Stars had a victory 130-113 to over the West. Now, the coaches for both teams, we had Chuck Daly, who was coach of... The East, he was uh, head man of Detroit Pistons at the time. And the Western Conference All-Stars were led by Pat Riley, head coach of the Lakers. Our leading vote-getter for 1990 All-Star Game was Michael Jordan with about 321,000 votes. And the MVP of the game was Magic Johnson. Uh, What are your memories, mate? You said it was one of your favourite games going back some time now. So what are some of the standout moments of the game for you? The All-Star Games back in the 90s when I first started getting into the NBA were the other pinnacle of each season. You, know, you always enjoyed watching your team play throughout the year, but to see all the great players all on the one team is always a game that you really, really look forward to each year. And in 1990, had a great lineup on both teams and had quite a few first gamers, well-known names such as Scottie Pippen, Reggie Miller, Joe Dumas and Dennis Rodman 
for the East and the other West had two first-timers in KJ, Kevin Johnson, and AC Green, who I'm not sure what the NBA fans were on back in 1990, but somehow got voted in as a starter that year, which to me, you look back now, is just inexplicable. And to punch away it, he didn't even score in the game. So not sure how AC made the team that year. That started a controversy in itself because Carl Malone did not play in the 1990 All-Star game. He missed the game due to an injured ego. He was replaced by Rolando Blackman. So AC Green actually had more votes than the Mailman. It was about 160,800 for AC Green and Mailman had about 159,600. So he, in protest of some sort, decided not to deliver on the day of the All-Star game in 1990 and was replaced by Rolando Blackman, who was the hero of the 1987 All-Star Game when he had those two free throws to force overtime at the end of regulation. So quite interesting backstory to that. And I think one of the other debut All-Stars we actually forgot to mention was none other than David Robinson, the Admiral. Yeah, the rookie, a very formidable NBA player, even in his rookie year. Exactly, on, on his way to future Hall of Fame honours. And another thing to mention about that as well, just when I do mention from time to time throughout this podcast, I'm going to be saying things like, oh, he's a 14-time All-Star. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they played in 14 All-Star games. For example, Michael Jordan was selected 14 times, but he only played in 13 games because he missed one of them through injury in 1986. Don't necessarily think that because I say, oh, he was an eight-time All-Star, he played in all eight games, if that makes sense. The last All-Star game in Larry Bird's story career as well. He was was selected the other, the following two years as well, but couldn't play due to injury. And it was also the last All-Star game for the original big three of Bird, Parrish and McHale. The issue that Carl Malone had with not being selected as a starter, I think having his skirt tucked into his panties was an issue that Carl Malone suffered with right the way throughout his career. And this was a perfect example of that. It's quite an amazing story when you think about it, the fact that he was just pipped at the post, maybe even pipped at the letterbox perhaps, by AC Green with those votes. And for whatever reason, that just stuck in his craw and he decided to pull out of the game because he played all 82 games in the regular season. And it's actually noted down on basketballreference.com, which is one of my favorite sites that I love to do my research of these episodes on it says that he did not play due to injury but let's be honest it was just an injured ego that led to the fact that he pulled out of the game massive ego because if you've seen that Kostakis brothers poster where he's just as a mailman delivering the other mail you can see that he's pretty proud of himself so to have a an injured ego would be a massive injury for him because that ego was enormous (laughs) he luckily made it back in time for the next regular season game So a couple of storylines from the 1990 All-Star Game as well. If we haven't already mentioned, Magic Johnson was the MVP of the game. He was obviously the floor leader of the LA Lakers. 22 points, 6 boards and 4 assists for the Magic Man. And Jordan and Barkley each had 17 points apiece for the Eastern Conference All-Stars. A couple of other notable things. Dennis Rodman, it was his first All-Star Game. However, he was criminally overlooked for the rest of his career and he only played in two. 1992 would be the only other time he actually would lace him up as an All-Star, which was quite crazy when you think about it. Yeah, his numbers right throughout his career, and particularly his later years with the Pistons, uh, his two years with the Spurs and with the Bulls, the fact that he only made it two All-Star games is a disgrace, and yeah, I've already voiced my opinion on the impact that uh, the David Stern and his men had undoubtedly had on, uh, on Dennis not making more All-Star games. 
Yeah, and I think that David Stern, Adam Silver and co have also got some secret agents working <laughs> undercover to listen to some of these podcast episodes we're recording just to make sure that we don't talk down the NBA too much. So just be careful, mate, that as I said in another podcast, that they're not knocking on your door as we speak. David Stern and Adam Silver listening to the podcast, if only, huh? Exactly right. You never know. You can always wish. Moving on to a few other quick storylines from that 1990 All-Star game. Fat Lever. It was actually his second All-Star game. He only played in two, unfortunately. He was one of the most overlooked and underappreciated players ever in NBA history for mine. He got 16 points in the game, and over a stretch from 1985 to 1990, he averaged 17 points, 7.6 boards, 7.5 assists, and 2.5 steals a game. And that's at six foot three playing for the Denver Nuggets during that late 1980s stage. Just some amazing stats, and yet he gets little to no respect, it seems, from others going forward based on his career at that time. Yeah, he didn't do it for as long a period as what what Jason Kidd did. Jason Kidd had these kinds of numbers for a more sustained period of time, but Fat Lever was two inches shorter than Kidd and had Jason Kidd-type numbers to average Nine rebounds as a 6'3 guard is a perfect example of the kind of player that he was. And as you mentioned, probably one of, if not the most underrated player in league history. For sure, mate. Now, this All-Star game in Miami in 1990 was also the first of three consecutive years where the NBA would play the game in one of the expansion team cities. And then again in 1994, it would return to Minnesota where they'd also have the All-Star game as well, which we'll finish off this podcast chat by talking about. So just before we head into the 91 All-Star game, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on from that particular contest? Yeah, there was a few especially good plays that stick in my memory from the game from the 150-odd times that I've watched it. There was a block that Charles Barkley had on then Akeem Olajuwon minus the H. Barkley had Akeem try to throw down a dunk. It was one-on-one, and 6'4 Barkley just went up and, and destroyed him on the block. It was an amazing play from Barkley, even though he kind of freaked out a lot of people with some of the things that he did, good and bad, on, on the court during his career. There was a, a chess pass that Joe Dumas threw to Robert Parrish for a dunk at one point in time during the game, and it was one of the tightest chest passes through traffic that I've ever seen. And, of course, it was Dominique's buzzer beater three from about 30, 35 feet out at the end of the first quarter. So there were three plays that especially stuck out for me. Yeah, no doubt. And also, that was obviously the proverbial thread the needle, I guess, that pass you're talking about by Joe Dumas. Thread the needle. That's what I was looking for. Thank you. (laughs) Not a problem. Let's move on to the 1991 All-Star Game, where this time it's at Charlotte Coliseum in Charlotte, North Carolina, and the East just squeezed home with a victory here, 116-114. to 114. It was in February 1991, and our coaches this time around for the Eastern Conference team was Chris Ford of the Boston Celtics, and for the Western Conference team, we had Rick Adelman of the Portland Trailblazers. So our leading vote-getter this time around was, again, Michael Jordan. He had just over 1.2 million votes. So obviously they must have increased the avenues that you could put a vote in because the previous year was less than 400,000. So the NBA started to expand their reach in terms of fan voting. Now, the MVP of the game this time was Charles Barkley, who was coerced into playing. Let's let's be honest, he was coerced by the NBA heavies. Again, we don't want to go too much into that for fear of 
retribution. What are your memories looking back on that game, mate? Yeah, it was quite humorous at the end of the game when David Stern was went to hand Charles the MVP trophy. Thank Charles for turning up. There was talk that uh, that Barkley had some problems with uh, stress fractures in his foot. I think, yeah, as you mentioned, the league office talked him into uh, to coming down to Charlotte. Michael Jordan played in front of his home state of North Carolina, at least where he played his college ball in North Carolina, and he had a good game. The 10 for 25 from the field and, and 10 turnovers probably isn't exactly what he had in mind, but he had a good game and undoubtedly would have pushed Charles to a degree for the MVP. Yeah, Jordan had those 26 points. He also led all players with 608 ticket requests given it was a homecoming of sorts back in North Carolina. There's some other interesting storylines, again, with this particular All-Star game. One, in fact, was Kevin Johnson. Uh, it was his choice to wear the number 41, which was in honour of his Phoenix teammate, Mark West, which was a great thing to show. Or he was right behind his teammates for helping him get into the game itself. So he wore number 41. Uh, Magic Johnson wore the number 32, of course, which left Carl Malone to wear number 13, which was perhaps an omen of sorts given his late brain fade at the end of that game. At the end of the fourth quarter, Kevin Johnson had a chance to win the game, or at least put the West ahead in the final three or four seconds. He had a go-ahead three-point shot, which for some inexplicable reason, Carl Malone reached up and tried to interfere with. So it was some offensive interference. That was a bit of a bizarre ending to the game, and in the end, the East held on for the two-point win. Yeah, definitely a not sorry, a Carmelo fan. And uh, in my notes for this uh, this chat, actually, his screw up at the end of the game is actually the other second point in my notes. So I was more than happy to I didn't mention that in our chat today. No, no, no doubt. Unfortunately, Carmelo uh he's copying it from pillar to post at this stage. So uh, he certainly mailed in that last little play. <laughs> that, that's for sure. <laughs> I, another thing I'd like to talk about as well in relation to this game. Michael Jordan did one of the most underrated moves of his career, in my opinion. He drove from the top of the key at one stage. This was when I go into the left of the screen early on in the first quarter, if I'm not mistaken. And he hit an incredible one-handed double clutch basket in the lane. Now, that, that was one of the great moves, and yet you don't see it all that often on his highlight reels. Yeah. He had David Robinson come out and challenge him on that play. David didn't really jump up, put his hands up to try to challenge it, but he came towards MJ and it kind of caused MJ to change his mind on his move. And as you know, MJ did better than anyone else in league history, his ability to adapt and his upper body strength, it was an amazing move. Yeah, for sure. And that led to Bob Costas saying something along the lines of Jordan, double clutch and gets the roll. And then it even led to Mike Patello with one of the greatest bits of commentary I've heard from him was uh, that's what the crowd was waiting for, Michael Jordan, to show him a little something. Now, these sort of random comments are just stuck in my mind 20-plus years later for some unknown reason. I guess you just you watch the games that many times over and over, I suppose, that some of the commentary will just sink in. So I can go around pretty much just quoting off commentary left, right and centre, bore most people to death. Yeah, if you watch these games enough times, often the certain parts of commentary for certain things that happen in the games that are as iconic as what the players are. So I have the same thing. You know, I'll be at work and I'll be running off bits of commentary uh, through my head. Often I wonder how sane I am when I'm doing it, but uh, it's definitely an enjoyable part of the game. Yeah, no doubt about that. And a couple of other notes about the game in particular. Carl Malone, Maggie Johnson and David Robinson led the West scorers, each with 16 points. Larry Bird did not play due to injury. 
and he was replaced by Hersey Hawkins from the Philadelphia 76ers. Isaiah Thomas also didn't play in this game due to injury, but there was no replacement player for him. And one other great storyline from the game that I would love to talk about for just a moment is Bernard King, who at age 34, he made a comeback to the All-Star level. It was his first All-Star game since 1985, and obviously not long after that he suffered a terrible career-altering injury that really restricted him, but thank goodness he managed to get back to all-star level even at age 34, and it's really quite appropriate we're talking about this now because only in the last day or so it's been made known that Bernard King will be enshrined to the Basketball Hall of Fame later this year. Yeah, a great effort by by King to make the all-star team again at 34, and I haven't had the uh, the pleasure of seeing too many of his games from early on in his career when he was at his peak. Well, certainly hearing the words of other people, he was uh, he was overdue for his nod into the Hall of Fame. Here's King. Oh, there's uh, Marv Albert in the background. Yeah, Marv. Uh, now, also, just another thing about Bernard King. He was a great scorer primarily, but was just renowned as the man in, in New York for many years uh, on that team in the early to mid 1980s, so really great to see him now being finally recognised for Basketball Hall of Fame honours. A couple of more things that we just want to quickly talk about. The debut All-Stars from the 1991 season, Tim Hardaway of the UTEP two-step fame, his first All-Star game, his first of five selections uh, with Golden State Warriors and then later the Miami Heat. Terry Porter of the Trailblazers was also his first game. He played two All-Star games. And Hersey Hawkins, as we mentioned, he replaced Larry Bird, who was out through injury. And Ricky Pierce, a deserving All-Star, unfortunately only got the one call up. Uh, he had a really good career, just a solid player, six man of the year. And so it was good to see him make the roster too. Yeah, Ricky Pierce that year, his points per minute were up around the other leaders in, in the NBA, quite comparable to, uh, to Michael Jordan's average of points per 48 minutes, which is what they used to used to go by back then. Nowadays, it's by 36 minutes, but his points per minutes that year were right up there. And there was an extra bit of emotion to the game that year as well with the US troops that were were fighting in the Gulf War at that time as well. There was quite a, a heartfelt and moving rendition of the Star Spangled Banner before the game by Brantford Marcellus and Bruce Hornsby. It was a very emotional moment to start the game off. Exactly right. Now, some All-Star games, it must be said, the pre-game anthem is not all that special, quite forgettable in some ways, but there's some really iconic ones. That was certainly one of them. Along with Marvin Gaye back in the early 1980s, there was a fantastic rendition he did at one of the All-Star games, which was just amazing to watch too. Indeed. Let's talk about the 1992 All-Star game. This time it was in Orlando, Florida at the Orlando Arena. It was in February 92. The Western Conference team blew out the East. It was 153 to 113, so a 40-point margin for the West. But that scoreline is mostly forgotten. The main memories of this game come back to being Magic Johnson, the fact that he came out of retirement for the one game. He was voted by the fans to be in the All-Star game, and a lot of memories of this game are to do with Magic Johnson. And He did come back with some displeasure from the mailman, Carl Malone, so we'll talk about that in just a minute too. The East were coached by Phil Jackson, head coach of the Bulls, and of course the Western Conference team was led by Don Nelson, who was the head coach of Golden State Warriors at the time. Now, the leading vote-getter was Michael Jordan. Two of the last three All-Star games, he was the leading vote-getter. This time, he had just over 1 million votes. And the Magic Man was MVP of the game with 25 points and 9 assists. So let's quickly just talk about Magic's appearance in the game in general. There was some displeasure 
voiced from Carl Malone particularly in the lead up to this game and that even would reach itself further into the dream team selections that would happen later in the year as well. What were your thoughts and, and recollections of that particular game, mate? Carl Malone having an issue with, with Magic coming back was another example of uh, how much of a, an issue it was for him to be uh, a whiner, uh, which he was a lot during his career, but it was... Magic's weekend, his appearance in the All-Star game that year made it probably one of the top two or three most memorable All-Star games in league history. Uh, There was also a lot of talk at that time of the upcoming Dream Team, which was going to be playing in Barcelona for the United States in the Summer Olympics. And in regards to Magic's game, which eventually got him the MVP award, Clyde Drexler was actually quite close for a lot of that game to coming to receiving the MVP award. He had a really good game for the West. It was up until about the fourth quarter, which is when, when Magic turned it on. Yeah, for sure. And hit the last three or four minutes of the game were particularly very special for Magic. He hit three threes in that span, if I'm not mistaken, and took on Isaiah Thomas in a bit of a one-on-one battle and also took on MJ, but they were both fairly kind and not trying to embarrass him too much, so they just sort of put up jumpers. Uh, Isaiah, I think, threw up an air ball and Jordan threw up a fade away from the baseline, which almost went in, but they let Magic sort of have the, the moral victory as such and he then ended the game pretty much in the last 15 seconds, hit the final score of the game, and I don't ever remember seeing the clock tick down to zero. The players just started congratulating one another and going up and really celebrating with magic. So you're right, he did steal the MVP award effectively from from Clyde Drexler, who that would have been his greatest chance to win All-Star MVP honours, no doubt. Yeah, and... Before the game, Dennis Rodman told Magic Johnson that he was going to bust his chops a little bit during the game. So Magic, after not having played for so long, was was definitely looking forward to the chance to play against some of these guys again. The game also had quite a few first-time All-Stars as well for the Eastern Conference you had Reggie Lewis from the Boston Celtics, who made his one and only All-Star Game appearance. You had Michael Adams from the Washington Bullets, who had a, an amazing year, was uh, was at his three-point shooting best in that season. He actually replaced injured Larry Bird in that game. And the other Eastern Conference first-timer was, was Kevin Willis from the Atlanta Hawks, who, again, had a great year, particularly on the boards, and he replaced his injured teammate Dominique Wilkins from the Hawks. The Western Conference had Jeff Horner second, Dan Marley, both from the Phoenix Suns. The only rookie in the game was Denver's Dikembe Mutombo. He uh, he was the only rookie to play in the 1992 All Star game. And yeah, there we go. <laughs> That's all I got for you. <laughs> you thought it threw me with that Mutombo pronunciation. Yeah, Mutombo. Is that how he came out of college? That's actually how he was meant to say his name, was it? Or how did, how does that work? I think if you if you said his name, how it was meant to be said. You'd be uh, a bit tongue-tied and would spend about five or ten minutes spitting it all out. So, <laughs> yeah, he does actually have about eight different parts to his name. So, it's, um, you've got to take a degree to be able to pronounce it. So, fair call. Yeah, yeah. As I mentioned before, Reggie Lewis's only All-Star game that was the season before he tragically 
passed away. He had uh, an, an incident during the first round playoffs in 1993 against the Charlotte Hornets where he collapsed on the court, which was a very, very scary moment. Uh, he was, I think, diagnosed to have a heart condition, which he was later told by doctors in, in Boston that he was he'd be okay to, to play again. And, and then during the offseason in 1993, he actually died playing in a pickup game. So in hindsight, a very sad aspect of the All-Star game. It definitely was, and I'll get into a little bit of shameless self-promotion as I like to do on these episodes. Episode 10 of the show, if you were to go to inallairness.com forward slash 10, that's the number 10, you'll see a 1993 NBA season recap that you and I both did, and we do talk a bit more about that uh, sad passing of Reggie Lewis and also Drazen Petrovic, for that matter, who died only a bit over a month earlier than that as well. So a tragic couple of losses for the NBA. Also in this all-star game, a big James, big, <laughs> James Worthy, big game, James, James Worthy. It was his last all-star game. He was a seven-time representative. And as you mentioned, Michael Adams, back in 1991, if you were to go back and have a look at his totals for the season, he had something like 26.5 points and 10.5 assists a game which is just frightening over the course of a regular season. I think he played in the mid-60s in terms of how many games for that season. But those are some phenomenal numbers, and yet he didn't make the All-Star team in 91, but in 1992 he did, still with some really good numbers. But 1991 was just staggering. I think he played in the 1991 season with Denver, didn't he? And I think his his season that he had in 91 had to be recognised in some shape, way or form in the following year in 92. It just so happened that he had a, another great year in 92 with Washington, so was very deserving of his spot, even though he replaced Larry Bird. I'm sure it's a, a very nice memory for him to be able to tell people that he played in an all-star game and also replaced the great man. Yep, no doubt. And also, we did not mention, I don't think to this point, Jordan led the East as well with 18 points in terms of that game, but it was pretty much an afterthought, the final score, given it was a 40-point blowout. But interestingly, you did mention about Dennis Rodman there, how he mentioned pre-game, how he'd like to give Magic a bit of a shake-up in terms of when the game started. That also happened again in 1996, the second game of Magic's comeback when the Bulls played the Lakers in one of the most hyped regular season games ever, which I was just absolutely ecstatic about at the time. Rodman really roughed up Magic big time in that in one particular play in that game where he gave him a really hard foul and the crowd were on him immediately. Do you remember that? Yeah, we actually spoke about that game in the uh, 1996 season recap that uh, you and I did recently. It was a, a hugely hyped game, even here in Australia, with you know the great man, Magic Johnson, coming back and, and playing the Bulls. That Bulls team of that year, the 72 and 10 Bulls, yeah, the hype is huge. 1996 NBA season recap. Oh, thanks for mentioning that. Inallianus.com slash... 18, the number 18, you'll be able to hear the thoughts of Aaron and myself as we delve into the 96 season like few others have ever done in the history of podcasting. And we do uh, tear that season to shreds as we talked about the Bulls on their way, rampaging to the 72 and 10 and then taking their fourth title in a six-year span. Yeah, that 1996 season recap, undoubtedly podcasting at its finest. Oh, for sure, mate. The feedback, particularly from David Stern and Adam Silver, has been outstanding to date. 
1993 All-Star Game. This time it was at the Delta Center in Salt Lake City, Utah. The West had a overtime victory. It was 135 to 132. The East were led by Pat Riley of the New York Knicks. He'd uh, obviously since left the Lakers, and he had one year where he was the NBC analyst. And the West were led by Paul Westfall of the Phoenix Suns, who were en route to one of their greatest regular seasons ever, as they would meet with the Bulls in the NBA Finals. The leading vote-getter again was Michael Jordan. He had just over 1 million votes this time around. And the MVPs of the game were John Stockton and Karl Malone. Coincidence, perhaps. Uh, they were both representing Utah in Utah, but I won't be too cynical. John Stockton had 9 points and 15 assists, which was fantastic, and the mailman dialed up for 28 points and 10 boards. So they were co-MVPs. Just from the outset, mate, what are your thoughts on this particular game? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, any mention of John Stockton and Carl Malone and that damn pick and roll that they used to run drains the hell out of me. So let's just move on to the next point. (laughs) I love it. All right, let's just move straight on. So I actually think that whilst those two guys did have some great games, particularly with Stockton with those 15 assists and Malone had 28 points, granted, I think Jordan was robbed of the MVP honours now. Perhaps that's just my bias. Jordan had 30 points, four boards, five assists, four steals, and he even sold some popcorn at halftime. So he pretty much did almost everything he could to get the MVP, but was uh, jilted by Malone and Stockton. Yeah, I think that the one thing that worked against MJ winning the MVP, of course, was the fact that the East lost. But MJ's play in that game was awesome. Late in regulation, an amazing fadeaway corner three where he was he faded towards the baseline and hit this line drive corner three. It was amazing. And then to send the game into overtime, MJ had the ball, and I think everyone made their peace with the fact that MJ was going to shoot it. He drove the scene, drew the, the defenders to him, and hit Patrick Ewing in the corner who hit the game-tying jumper to send it into overtime. Just two of the great plays that MJ had in that game. Yeah, that's no doubt about that. And Mark Price, who was with the Cleveland Cavaliers at that stage, he had a great game. He had 19 points on 6 of 9 from three-point range. So uh, that was a great performance. And this game was also notable for the fact that it was Isaiah Thomas's final All-Star game. He was a 12-time All-Star. And Shaquille O'Neal, it was his first All-Star game. So as a rookie, he was uh, in the All-Star team. He was a 15-time All-Star. He got 14 points and seven boards. A couple of other things as well. Uh, Mitch Richmond... The Rock, he did not play due to injury, and there was no replacement for him. Sean Kemp was the only player not to score, or at least not on the court anyhow. (laughs) Perfect. Along with Mitch Richmond and Sean Kemp, there were also some other first-time All-Stars that year. You had uh, Richmond, Shaquille, and Sean Kemp, of course. And from the Indiana Pacers, you had Detlef Schrempf. From the Charlotte Hornets, the previous year's Rookie of the Year, Larry Johnson, and Sean Elliott from the Spurs, and Danny Manning from the Los Angeles Clippers, who amazingly had an all-star back then. They were a good team to watch in terms of getting up and down the court, but they really did struggle to even make it to the playoffs. They they had some good games back at the clip joint back in the day, but that's maybe just my clouded memory of, of the guys, perhaps. They actually made the all. Uh, they made the all star <laughs> game. Wow. The, entire, the entire squad made the all star team that year. Um, Did Billy Crystal <clears throat> coach them? Billy Crystal was coaching them. Yeah, yeah. The Clippers actually made the uh, the playoffs that year. They had a pretty decent team with Danny Manning and Ron Harper, and Mark Jackson. One of the few times that they made the playoffs back in the early nineties. 
Yep. It was also good to see, as we did say, it was Mitch Richmond's first selection, although he didn't play with injury, but it was great to see him recognised in 1993. Probably could have got there a year sooner, perhaps, but he was a six-time All-Star and fantastic player, great guy by all reports, and obviously one of MJ's main rivals in the mid-90s, I guess you'd say. Yeah, Danny Manning, however, for me, I have a, a deep-seated hatred for the man. Uh, as a, a big Dominique fan, he was the guy that, that Nick got traded to the LA Clippers for in 94, so he really he could have made 20 all-star teams and I still wouldn't have rated him. Well, that's fair enough. You're just being honest, but also you've just uh, drawn an imaginary line through Danny Manning ever appearing on, <laughs> <laughs> appearing on show as a guest. So Danny Manning would never be a guest on the show, but at least you've aired your opinion. One more thing before we, before we do move on. One little known fact about Larry Johnson's appearance in the All-Star game, it was the first of his two selections. Grandmama was actually selected as a reserve, which was quite astonishing at the time, I, I would believe, but Converse were very happy with that fact. Did you know that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Grandmama was quite big in the media that year, so it was really good to see her in the game. It was a bit strange to see one of the players in a dress. One of the big controversies of that year, though, was a very noticeable omission for the Western Conference was Dikembe Mutombo. So it was unfortunate for him that he missed out. Anything else you'd like to add about that 93 All-Star game, Stanny, before we move on to the final All-Star game that we're going to be chatting about today? Yeah, one little tidbit was having made numerous all-star teams as a member of the Eastern Conference, it was actually Charles Barkley's first appearance for the West that year and he received and dished out a little bit of extra attention to his former uh, Eastern Conference teammates, in particular, Scotty Pippen. That's true. They did have a bit of a history going forwards as well, even with a bit of a rift that was allegedly happening when they were on the Houston Rockets team as well in later years. But certainly with the Bulls and Suns in the 93 finals, there was a couple of words exchanged too between Sir Charles and Mr. Pippen. Yeah, hopefully Charles enjoyed getting those shots in during the All-Star game and it was a bit of a consolation for losing the title to the Bulls that year. That's right. And that's a nice little zing served up there by Aaron Steen on Mr. Charles Barkley. Let's chat about the 1994 All-Star Game. It was at the Target Centre in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The Eastern Conference team were the winners, 127 to 118. This was in February of 94, and this was mostly known as Scottie Pippen's real coming out game. A fantastic performance from Pip. The East were actually led by Atlanta's Lenny Wilkins, and George Carl of Seattle was the head coach for the West. Leading vote getter this time round was Sir Charles, who had a tick under 800,000 votes. Now, MVP was Scottie Pippen, put on a great show for the fans and really stamped himself on the NBA landscape. Not in the shadows of Michael Jordan, who was in the midst of that first retirement. He set out the whole 94 season, MJ, of course. Now, Pippen had 29 points, 11 boards, two assists, four steals and a block. So what are your recollections of this game, mate? I like to say the word recollections if you haven't already gathered. Yes, I uh, recollected that. (laughs) (laughs) Well played, well played. Having the game in Minneapolis, it rounded out the other four expansion teams as well, having their first All-Star games. But as a Bulls fan, having watched a number of Bulls games from that season, it was very evident that Scotty had really taken the mantle as the leader of the Bulls with no MJ around. And his game in the All-Star game at the Target Centre was on pace with his, uh, his regular season. Also, just as memorable in the game, if not the most iconic part of the game, the uh, the shoes that Scotty was wearing, they're the bright red Nike Maestros. As you mentioned before, it was definitely Scotty's 
coming out game, if not season. Yeah, for sure. And he, he had some fantastic numbers throughout that season. And obviously he was MVP-esque in terms of his performance throughout the entire year, not just that All-Star game. This game also had many first-time All-Stars, and we'll start off with reeling the whole list off here. Gary Payton, Alonzo Mourning, LaCharles Sprewell. We had teammates Kenny Anderson and Derek Coleman of New Jersey Nets at that stage. Mookie Blaylock. We had also two Chicago Bulls aside from Pippen, and that was BJ Armstrong and Horace Grant. We also had fellow teammates John Starks and Charles Oakley of the New York Knicks. And last but not least, Uncle Cliffy, Cliff Robinson. And speaking of Cliff Robinson, I will mention that I had a good conversation with Uncle Cliffy. If you go to inallairness.com forward slash six, you can hear my conversation with Cliff Robinson. And we do talk about the 94 All-Star game as well. So plenty to go back on there and relive about some of the other conversations I've had in previous episodes. Now, mate, what other storylines from that 1994 All-Star game come to mind from you, Aaron? Yeah, the top two Eastern Conference teams from the year before, the Knicks and the Bulls, both had three representatives each, which was good recognition for those two teams. And one amazing fact of the game is that three of the starters for the Eastern Conference, being Kenny Anderson, Derek Coleman, and BJ Armstrong, all started in their early All-Star appearance in their careers, which which is quite incredible. Yeah, that is an anomaly. Interesting to note that too. Uh, Alonzo Mourning was selected but did not play due to injury, and he was replaced by Charles Oakley. Mitch Richmond missed out again. It was a DNP due to injury, and he was replaced by Terry Porter. And Charles Barkley also sat out with injury, and he was replaced by the glove, Gary Payton. Now, another thing that was of note in this game, Mark Price had another strong game. He had 20 points and five assists. So in his all-star opportunities, he certainly made the most of those. The great three-point gunner from Cleveland. Mark Price was at his peak at that particular stage for the Cavs, and his play in those two All-Star games were reflective of his uh, his regular season play as well. He was awesome three-point gunner and was one of the original exponents of uh, splitting a double team off the dribble. He was a great player, in particular at that time. A couple of other quick points. Akeem Olajuwon and David Robinson were the leading scorers for the West with 19 points each. That brings us to an end for our recap of the 1990 through 1994 NBA All-Star Games. I hope you guys that are listening enjoyed that as much as Aaron and I had fun recording it. We had to do a few edits throughout this episode because we had some uncontrollable laughter at certain stages. So I might even post a couple of quick audio outtakes of some of the things that we did throughout this episode and you might enjoy those if you have a moment to visit the website. All the information from this episode, show notes and things like that can be found at inallairness.com. Do a forward slash and the number 19, that'll be this particular episode. I'd really love to hear your feedback on the episode, so please feel free to head to facebook.com forward slash inallairness and let us know what you thought of the episode, any suggestions for future episodes. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. Drop us a note via Twitter. I'm at inallairness. And Steenie, how can you be reached? I can be reached two ways, Adam, on my Twitter handle, which is at Steenie, S-T-E-H-N-Y. Myself and my good friend Adam Howes, also the administrators of the official Johnny Red Kerr page on Facebook, which is a page we've, we've dedicated to the late, great Johnny Kerr, the other first head coach of the Bulls and, and long-time broadcaster. And unfortunately, in, in the show notes, what won't be included is all of us laughing like two juvenile little schoolboys. <laughs> Yeah, I certainly concur with that. I will. I actually will include a few outtakes from this episode because I think that people may find them mildly amusing. And I'd also like to apologise to Danny Manny 
<laughs> and also, Carl Willow, there's a fair chance that they may not appear on the show, even if they were willing to, based on the fact that they were somewhat sledged throughout this episode. So apologies to those two guys. That will do it. Aaron, thanks for joining me today. It was great fun talking about the 1990s All-Star Games. We will be back again to do this at some stage in the near future. And until then, thanks again. Giddy up. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show and share my web address with your friends and colleagues, inallairness.com. Check out the podcast archive for plenty more episodes with high-profile guests. Follow me on Twitter at inallairness. Please visit the show's social hub, facebook.com slash inallairness. Join me next time for another edition of the show.